This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. You know, for over 15 years, Gowan Canada has focused our deepest respect for science and passion for agriculture to help growers work toward the results they need to grow profitable crops. Herbicide resistance is a growing challenge and chemical rotation is king. Our Muddy Boots approach to understanding crop protection challenges helps us deliver the right solutions for sustainable weed and pest management. To see the full list of products, go to GowanCanada.com. That's GowanCanada.com. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada. Hello, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East, and I'm speaking today with Sabine Benitza, professor in the University of Saskatchewan's College of Agriculture and Bioresources and Ministry of Agriculture Strategic Research Program Chair in Pulse Crop Pathology. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're most welcome. Pleasure to be with you today. So earlier this year, it was announced that you're receiving funding from Saskatchewan's Agriculture Development Fund for a research project to develop lentil varieties with root rot resistance. Could you give a brief overview of how you plan to go about this research and what you hope to achieve? Okay, so really there are two main pathogens that cause root rot in lentil. It's a sort of a quite complex disease in that there are quite a few pathogens, but there are two main pathogens. One is called Aphanomyces uticus, and the other, other one is Fusarium avination. And so we have already spent uh, a few years now screening germplasm of lentils, so lines of lentils, strains of lentils for resistance because all, all varieties are always susceptible. And so we have identified some lines that have resistance to both of these pathogens. And now comes the difficult part to try to sort of A, combine them and then sort of not only combine the two types of resistance, but also sort of combine it with a, a lentil strain that can actually be grown in the field by farmers. And so that's what this project is, is about. And it's it sort of involves a quite complex breeding strategy and breeders and I guess plant biotechnologists always have fancy words for these methods they develop. And so this particular method is called a, a magic, developing a magic population. So basically, you will be using some elite varieties so that, that have all the good features you want to see in a lentil in terms of yield, their growth patterns, their time to maturity. So all the features that growers want to see and then cross them with these sources of resistance, which sort of are a little bit more wild. And in fact, we are going to use a wild relative, a close but wild relative of lentil because they seem to have the highest level of resistance. And so you, you have to cross them in, in many different combinations and then do a lot of screening again so that you make sure that A, you retain the genes for resistance, but sort of don't retain any of the other traits that wild lentil have and that you don't want to have in your modern lentil variety. So a good example is wild lentil varieties or lentil strains have the tendency for the pots to split and then the, the seeds are lost. So when they mature, they, the pots split very quickly and the seeds fall out. And of course, as a, as a farmer, you, that's the last thing you want, right? You don't want your lentil field to mature and then, hey, bang, all the, the seeds are on the ground. 
So we just want the resistance genes. And so you have to go through quite a complicated breeding process to make sure you preferentially only get the resistance genes while retaining all the good traits from your modern varieties like high yield, sort of upright growth, no lodging, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what this project is about. It sounds like an exceptionally complex project, but kind of a natural outgrowth of previous research you've done. Yes. Yes. And I'm doing that together with my colleague, Dr. Kirsten Thett, who is sort of a, a specialist on lentil genetics and has worked a lot with cultivated, but also with wild species. So we, we now have a lot of, of tools to be very efficient in, in doing projects like that. So you've selected a few wild lentil lines. How did you come about picking those ones? Well, I guess you kind of answered that by saying they have the traits. I mean, this is a lot of work because, I mean, we had to, we have a fairly large collection here at the Crop Development Center of wild lentil lines. And we, we screened over several hundred lines to identify those that have the best resistance. And this is sort of conventional pathogenicity testing in, in growth chambers or in the greenhouse. So that is a lot of work. And that's why I said, well, sort of this now is building on several years of work, identifying good resistance. And it's impressive that you guys are, the research is hoping to kind of generate commercial lines within the project or shortly thereafter. That's like, that's a very speedy turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, may, we, we, probably, we won't get to releasing varieties. That, that takes a little bit longer. But what we are hoping is to get fairly advanced lines that then the lentil breeder can take and develop into varieties fairly quickly. I mean, if you think of a, a normal breeding process, it probably takes 10 to 12 years from when you make the cross until you actually release a variety. So we hope to sort of make that much, much faster. Are you using CRISPR technology or is this? No, no, no. We, we are not using CRISPR technology. So CRISPR technology always sounds sort of like so straightforward and <laughs> like the miracle tool. But the problem is with CRISPR technology, I mean, you're obviously modifying genes in the plant, right? And usually, or in most cases, shutting them down or... In, in most cases, you, you try to shut them down. Now, obviously, if you want to do that, you need to know which gene you want to shut down, right? And so with, with diseases such as these root rots in lentil, I mean, we sort of have some ideas in what regions of the genome of lentil I'm involved, but we are nowhere close enough to say, okay, if I shut down that gene, then I will get resistance. We, we just don't have the knowledge. We haven't identified those genes. So there is a lot more work to be done before we can start using CRISPR. Okay. So let's talk about the pathogens themselves. What are the effects of aphanomyces and fusarium root rots in lentils? So, I mean, as, as the word root rot says, these pathogens will, will infect those. So they live in the soil and they will infect the root and then basically start to, to damage the cells in the root and in, during that process sort of basically suck up nutrients from the plants. So A, they take up these nutrients and B, they also destroy the tissue that allows the plant to take up water and nutrients from the soil. Right. So basically you have the damage, but then also you have a water and nutrient deficiency eventually. And that can, if it's really severe, that can lead to plant death. 
Yeah. And even if it doesn't get that severe, I'm guessing it impacts yield or plant performance. Yes, it does. And it varies a little bit on how how early in the growing season the plants get infected. If you um, have very early infection, then the effect will be much, much stronger than when you have infection later in the season. And both of these pathogens can infect throughout the growing season. Right. So sometimes if, if you have a, a late infection and it's not too severe, the plants can cope and a little bit outgrow it because not the whole root system is affected. But if you have a seedling which only has very little root biomass, that can easily lead to, to death of those seedlings. Okay. So do the pathogens live in the soil? Yes, both okay. of them live in the soil. Aphanomyces uticus only infects root. Now, with Fusarium avenaceum, it's a bit more complex. You can also have infection of above-ground plant parts. So, for example, we sometimes do see seed infection. So, the seeds on the plants can get infected. So, it, it lives below and above the ground. Okay. So, are there currently practices that growers can use to lower disease loads in their soil? Yeah, <laughs> very, very limited. So the only good tool we have for, for aphanomyces is very diverse rotation with long breaks between the susceptible host plants. And, and that is lentil and pea, which of course are our two large pulse crops here on the prairies. And I guess that is very painful for growers not to be able to grow pea or lentil for, and we, we talk about six, six to eight years Right, And I, I have heard reports where it, it was even longer than that. So aphanomyces produces very resilient spores in the soil and can survive for a very long time in the soil. With Fusarium avenaceum, it's a, a little bit more difficult in the sense of that it has a much broader host range, so it can infect many more host species. So, and when you run into a, a pathogen like that, obviously crop rotation may not be very effective, right? And this pathogen can infect cereals as well. So I guess their resistance is probably much more important. Yeah, this project will definitely make pulse growers very happy, I imagine. <laughs> well, certainly if we come out and can offer them some, some varieties that have better resistance to these two pathogens, that will be a big step forward. Yes. Now, are there above-ground symptoms that growers can recognize as the disease is infecting their plants? Yes. So the typical symptoms for both of these root rot pathogens and many others as well is that you see sort of less vigorous plants, maybe stunting, and then it depends on how severe it gets. You will see yellowing and you may see wilting, right? And, and that goes back to what I said earlier that the root system is slowly destroyed. So the plants don't get enough water, but they also don't get enough nutrients. And, and very often, nodulation is reduced as well. So they don't get enough nitrogen. And that's why you then see less growth, yellowing leaves, because there is just, they are nutrient, nitrogen deficient, right? And so that's what you, you notice. Now, obviously, there are, there are other causes that can result in, in yellowing and stunted plants. What is very typical for these root rot pathogens is that they sort of are patchy. And if your field isn't seriously infested yet, it may be a small patch. And sort of over the years, these patches grow in, in size. So you, you sort of see 
enlarging areas in your field where the plants are smaller, yellowy, and just not very vigorous. And usually then as they enlarge, the, the worst is in the center because that is sort of the focus of the disease. That's where probably the inoculum of the pathogen, where the pathogen is at its highest concentration. Okay. If there's one thing you could tell growers in regards to these pathogens, what would it be? I think the strongest tool we have now is rotation. And I think sort of doing everything you can to improve the health of the soil, because I mean, rotation is, is part of that. And with the difference in whether a particular crop species is a host plant or not, you sort of manage or can influence the population. But um, we also have to remember that the soil is sort of a very complex ecosystem where there are a lot of other microorganisms, right? And some of them, well, are the pathogens, but there are also a lot of microorganisms that may be beneficial. And so the healthier the soil is, the, the more diverse the microbial population in the soil is, the better the chance that these pathogens have a bit of a harder time in infecting the plants and sort of increasing in, in concentration in numbers and then can lead to these devastating effects. These are probably the only tools we have right now, but hopefully as we develop varieties with resistance, there is another tool and there is a lot of research going on on, on specifically looking at biological or non-biological measurements you can use in the field to, to manipulate these pathogen populations. So the eyes are on it. It's just kind of waiting to see the results at this point. Yes. Yeah. I think we, we don't have solutions sort of right away. It's, it's, uh, I, I always try to remind people that in humans, we also have diseases that are very complicated, right? If you think of cancer, where we have, or researchers have worked on for decades and we still don't have simple answers. And it's the same with some of these plant diseases. They are just very, very complex and difficult to manage and find solutions for. And sometimes you have to be a bit more patient. And it's hard, I know, because, I mean, it's livelihoods, right? And we do want to grow pulses for many reasons. But we scientists can't do miracles either, regardless of whether we develop magic populations or not, right? Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.